0: Welcome to the Chicago Justice Show. I'm your host, Tracy Siska. I'm also the Executive Director of the Chicago Justice Project. You can find out more about our transparency and accountability work, both in Chicago and around the country, as we are expanding at ChicagoJustice.org. Take a look at our new site. Let us know what you think of it. On today's show, we are going to talk about the Alvarez shooting video that came out towards the end of last week. The citizen office of police accountability released videotape we're going to talk a little bit about that we're going to talk about COPA that same organization recommending the stripping of the officer involved in the shooting. We're then going to talk about mayor lightfoot which she's great at is pointing fingers at others, we have another example we're going to also talk uh, about the engine investigation ending at least um, COPA's investigation around that the engine Young young. Um, unconstitutional raid. I'm not sure exactly what you call it. Then we're going to have our segment on FOP Watch about some Facebook content. Then our last two segments are going to be CRJ system, is the criminal justice system causing crime? Of course it is. It's not all the cause, but it is a cause. And then we're going to end on political corruption and the double banger we had on Thursday of two political indictments of one ex and one current alderman, both of which we knew were coming. But the U.S. Attorney's Office decided to get us two in a single day. Okay, um, we're going to start talking. We're going to start off talking about the Anthony Alvarez shooting. I It was in the 16th District, way up north, back where I grew up, near where I grew up. Everyone has seen this video. Um, I'm going to talk and show um, a clip from ABC News. Of all people, Chuck Gowdy, who I don't particularly love his branded exploitive journalism. But I think it's important to look at a clip and let me uh, preface this by saying um, that it's important to rec- remember. You know, we talked a little bit about it last week with the spin coming from the Fraternal Order of Police President John Contanzara, is important to remember that possessing a gun and running from an officer is not in and of itself an offense where you you can or should be shot the officer has to articulate a reasonable belief that you are about to attack them or someone else keep that in mind when you watch this video we don't show the shooting because it's not something we're going to do here unless we're really really forced into it i don't think we have to do it this time but I do want you to pay attention a 32nd clip I believe this is ABC showing one of the security cameras a video from a security camera where the shooting took place Um, so I'm gonna show you the clip and then we're gonna come back and um, discuss it
1: this version of the video we slowed down and zoomed on showing what appears to be a pistol in his right hand and a glowing phone in his left the gun ended up a few feet away in the grass in this picture made public by CPD, a 9mm with a 17-round magazine and a laser sight. COPA now recommending the shooting officer be stripped of his police power, but CPD officials have not done that. Instead, following typical protocol, 30-day paid administrative leave for both pursuers.
0: Okay, so what does this clip show that is important for our purposes here? It shows the gun in his right hand. It shows his cell phone in his left hand. It shows him running away from the officer. It does not show him because literally seconds later, not seconds, a second or so later, Anthony Alvarez is shot while running away. It does not show him doing anything from what we can see that can be reasonably interpreted As about to shoot the officer, shoot at the officer, or shoot at anyone else. Or do some act that's going to commit great bodily harm. That's not there, ladies and gentlemen. It just isn't, period. I think this shooting, from what we know now, and I do want to see what the investigation brings. But from what we know now, this shooting looks much worse to me. Then the Anthony than the um, Adam Toledo looks much worse to me I'm not sure either one was justified I think the Adam Toledo ver- version is much more understandable and in my view happened much much quicker much much more quickly with him throwing the gun and raising his hands and turning that seemed to me happened much quickly, much more quickly than Alvarez running from the officer. And what you don't see, and we're not showing and I'm not going to show the whole video is the officer, they pull up on him, they know him supposedly they tried to curb pull him over in a car that day, but he took off and they decided not to chase him because of the rules around car chases. They saw him that night at 1:30. They tried to stop him, he fled. They get out foot pursuit, they lose him, they lose sight of him, and that's where the new foot pursuit policies may end this chase. This policy, this cop just barrels around the house, even though he's lost sight of him. Alvarez has slipped. Alvarez then does this kind of half moon, trying to get his momentum back, running away from the officer, and the officer shoots. Now, I'm not sure how much faith to put in what the officer says right away, but Anthony says, why did you shoot me? And the cop says, because you have a gun, and that's on the body cam video. That ain't good enough. If that's the reason he shot him, this is big trouble. He wasn't an imminent threat to anyone. He didn't do any moves that made you think he was doing anything but running away, which is not something you can shoot him for. We got to hear the officer's side. Okay? Um, and you can hear him on the video at some point after the shooting. Was he going to ambush me? What are you talking about? If he was going to ambush you, he would have done it once he turned that corner and you couldn't see him. He would have waited for you to turn the corner and shot you, blown you away. So I know it's in the heat of the moment in the shooting, but that it seems like it's a very, very bad shooting. And it seems like... Um, the Citizen Office of Police Accountability agrees with us. Now, before we get into that, I'm gonna show you another clip. I always have some sympathy and some hatred for talking heads who get on the news and don't know what the hell they're talking about. This next clip is Gil Soffer, Sofer, Sofer, from Catton. a lawyer, big firm in the city. Um, uh, he's a legal analyst for ABC Local let's just get into it. it's a quick quick 13 minute 13 second segment but I do want to play it for you and then we'll come back
1: the inquiry doesn't end there we need to know why was he being chased in the first place did he pose a threat uh, in other respects um, do, how long did he have the gun in his hand when did he lose the gun before he was fired these are all really critical questions
0: okay so he doesn't know what he's talking about doesn't have a clue doesn't know anything about the police accountability system. He's just a talking head lawyer. We got to see how long he had that gun in his hand. Well, if he's running away, he could have had it for 17 hours. It would have made no difference. That plays no role in the investigation. I, I, I'm up for hearing the officer's side, as i said before, but come on now. I feel sorry for him a little bit. I feel hatred towards the fact that they even had him on. They were looking to fill a 20-second or 30-second hole with someone. Here's our legal analyst talking about it, who has no clue what the hell he's talking about. Please, television news. There are plenty of people in Chicago and experts who know what they're talking about on police accountability and police shootings. Shootings. Please consult them. This was an embarrassment. Um, You put uh, Mr. Soffer in a horrible position. He looked horrible. There was nothing good out of that except uh, ABC News got to fill a hole. Okay, so we move on to our next segment here. And I'm going to read it for our podcast audience. It's a Sun Times article. Lightfoot says COPA must justify decision to recommend stripping powers from cop and Alvarez shooting. Yeah, COPA should have, pro- this is, this. let me explain it first. This is all about the Citizen Office of Police Accountability, or COPA, not informing the superintendent of their decision to strip the officer of his powers, or, rec- yeah, to recommend the stripping of his powers, before they released it to the media. And this got Lightfoot, because her office may have not found out about it and heard it from the media, and this got Brown upset. Maybe, in the big... Picture of things: Mayor Lightfoot, Mayor Accountability, Mayor uh, Head of the Police Accountability Task Force, Mayor Head of the President of the Chicago Police Board, Mayor uh, Chief Administrator of uh, the Office of Professional Standards, if that's what they called that position when you let it. Um, watch the video. You know why Alvarez was stripped. So does Brown. This is not a hill you want to die. On. And to complain out in the media about it, unprofessional. You should have said, we didn't get notified by COPA. We heard about it. We're looking into why it's going on, whatever, whatever. What you don't want to do is sound like a sniveling, pointing fingers crybaby, because that's what it is. Any police accountability person, pretty much anyone that sees that cop shoot and then kill this kid who's running away from him with a gun and does nothing but run away from him knows why Alvarez is being stripped. So for those, to give you a little context, stripped means they are taking the police powers, the badge, and the gun away from the officer and assigning him or her to desk duty. And so what this means, basically, so right away after the shooting, the officer and their partner are on 30 days administrative leave. So um, while they still retain their police powers and their gun, they're really not acting as the police as far as being on patrol or being on the job. And it's basically a cooling off time period. Um, It helps the investigation. It's supposed to help the, the officer if they need to speak to someone, give them time to do it. So that was happening automatically. COPA then looks at the video and does a reasonable thing and says, we've looked at that. It's reasonable to believe after watching all the videos that we have seen that there is a good chance we are going to recommend the termination of this officer or the prosecution and then termination of this officer. So we are recommending that you strip him, him or her, but in this case him, um, strip his police powers from him. Listen, if Mayor Lightfoot or anyone in our office saw that video and in Superintendent Brown's office, if he saw it or anyone in his office saw it, they knew they were stripping that cop the moment they saw that video. The, all the videos, they knew it. So yeah, maybe Copa needs to have a better position to give you more leeway with the press so you can prepare your bullshit statement or the superintendent can prepare their bullshit statement. But that's basically all you're asking for is bullshit time. So you can write a bullshit statement so you can look good to the press. Like you were part of this decision. Um, It's a PR complaint, nothing more. um, And I don't really care about it. Neither should the media. The media should throw back questions at you about why you care about it other than the politics of you looking bad or discomforted by it. Um, I couldn't care less. You got to do what's needed, which is stripping this power, the powers from this officer. Brown should have already done it. Brown can do it on his own. He doesn't need Copa to recommend it. That's why Copa can't do it. If they could, they would have already stripped the officer. So they have to recommend it. They have to push Brown to do it. Brown should have already done it. Tell me how you look at all those videos and you think that's a good shooting or it's an understandable shooting. It's really neither one. Um, But this is just PR bullshit. All right, so we're going to move on to our third segment. Um, And here we get to Mayor Pointer. Mayor Pointing, Mayor Pointer. Pointing Mayor. This is a tweet from Fran Spielman that I will read here for our podcast audience. Lightfoot again chides, former Mayor Rahm Emanuel, without naming him, for agreeing to a consent decree over CPD that put off a new policy on foot chases for three years. Yes, imagine that bullshit. Tell me what's new in the city when you get that bullshit out of the mayor. Miss Mayor, at no point is the mayor's office. You're under Rahm Emanuel, or actually forever, and currently under your term and your oversight, forced to wait for the consent decree process to put reforms in place. You're mad that ROM pushed off the requirements to change the foot pursuit policy in the CPDs, in the consent decree process. Why didn't you change it on day one? You don't need a consent decree. You can put in reforms before the consent decree ends starts nothing's for stopping you you have an ordinance right on your you have an ordinance introduced in the city council An young ordinance let the democracy work regulate the police don't have to wait for the damn consent decree to be done five or ten years from now do it now yeah Rom sucks Rom has always sucked ram had no interest in reforming the police at all he doesn't care who they kill in fact he's fine them killing anyone but him or his son or his family he doesn't really care never did never will total political sellout hatred filled person now um what's different between your office and his you came in head of the police accountability task force president of the police board chief administrator office of professional standards why didn't you have an action plan to get things done in your first 100 or 200 or 300 days before the pandemic hit in your second year. Nothing changed. Nothing. Nothing, Miss Mayor. You had a chance. You came in with a pledge. You were going to get the citizen council, citizen commission done in the first 100 days. Here we are knocking on the door, 720. We still don't have it. And you haven't even introduced your, your own re- version of that ordinance. And you're going to point fingers at Rahm Emanuel? Yeah, Rahm Emanuel sucks, but look in the mirror. The last 720 days are on you. The fact that nothing got done is on you. And you're fighting the Anjanette Young ordinance. You're fighting the police commission ordinance. What is different? We could have gotten this from Rahm Emanuel, Richard Daly. This is no different. I don't see anything different. It's the same policy, political corruption that is gone every year that has no, no desire to reform the police department. It's really just, it really is, it's just really sad. Um, stop pointing fingers and get stuff done on your watch. You have 720 days left to make a difference. Screw the consent decree. You're using that as a shield for you to not have to put in reforms and play political prices for people who don't like the reforms you put in. It's a total political hack job. That's what you're doing. Stop it. Put the reforms in yourself. Let the city council do it. Do it now. We're not gonna take excuses. If you think you're winning in two years and, and accomplished nothing on these issues, you're insane. Totally insane. Okay. So we're gonna talk. Um, I'm one, Erica Sargent. More brief. One second. All right. So our fourth segment is a um, piece by CBS News about um, COPA, and I read the title reel here for, COPA completes 16th month investigation in Anjanette Young Raid, reports nearly 100 misconduct claims against officers. So real quick, the Citizen Office of Police Accountability and these types of cases, they take in all the things, but they only investigate certain types of complaints against officers. Some go to the independent, um, uh, the Internal Affairs Division of the CPD, they kept this one. And there were um, at least 100 complaints against officers from that not Young raid. Not individual people filing it, but multiple counts, right? 100 counts of complaints. So the COPA investigation is ended. I'm going to play the three-minute and 20-second report in its entirety, so you can see it. I think it's important. And then we'll talk about it on the back side. We'll be we'll seeing three minutes.
1: I'm Erica Sargent. More breaking news. The results, Justin, of a 16-month investigation into the wrong raid at Anjanette Young's home, detailing what police did wrong. CBS2 investigator Dave Tavini first exposed a botch raid two years ago. He's live with the, the new report and what it reveals. Dave. You know, Brad and Erica, it took our investigation to prompt COPA to do anything at all on this case. COPA says, or we're told at least, that they have found 100 allegations of police misconduct, but COPA is keeping the details of what they found secret. It's been more than two years since the terrifying raid on her home. Anjanette Young says she's been waiting all this time for someone to be held accountable for the wrong raid on her apartment on Chicago's West Side in February of 2019. A wrong raid where she was handcuffed naked, humiliated, and traumatized. The officers also had handguns and rifles pointed at her. COPA released a statement saying it is now referring its findings to CPD Superintendent David Brown for review.
0: I'm annoyed if, you know, that it took as long as it did. It's hurtful.
1: But a glimmer of some justice does appear to be coming for Young. Sources say COPA found at least 100 allegations of police misconduct during their investigation of the botched raid. It is a big deal when you hear 100 allegations of misconduct.
0: I absolutely believe that there's something that they uncovered when they mentioned, you know, 100 allegations. My concern is, is what will they do about it? Will they be outlined in a way that these officers are held accountable for that? What what are the consequences of these 100 allegations?
1: COPA did point out there were significant deficiencies in the way the search warrant was obtained and executed, something the CBS2 investigators have been exposing for years. A police simply took the word of a confidential informant and did not independently verify they had the right address. In Young's case, the target of the raid actually lived next door and was wearing an electronic monitoring device, so police should have known where he was all along. We know what the, the problems with using um, a confidential informants are, the, that they typically have something to kind of repay the police, and so they're, you know, they have an incentive to tell the police anything to kind of get... some of the heat off of them quite frankly young was also upset that specific details of what copa found were not released in today's report
0: that report does not support the pain and the suffering and the trauma that i have experienced from that night
1: so the details are not being keeping uh, they're not being kept secret from superintendent david brown Uh, brown has uh, typically 60 days now to respond to the copa report he could ask for more time, and if he doesn't agree with any part of the report, he can ask for a member of the police board to act as an arbitrator. Dave Savini, CBS2 Investigators.
0: Okay. It never astound, never ceases to amaze me. That's a better way of saying it. How reporters in Chicago, even ones that are around forever, which Savini has been, just can't understand and get their head wrapped around how the police accountability system works. So we will go over it quickly now. In 2007, when the Independent Police Review Authority was created, in that ordinance, a new process was started, which means when, at that point, IPRA, the Independent Police Review Authority, but now this is now changed to COPA. We changed that agency or ended IPRA, created a new agency called COPA, the Citizen Office of Police Accountability. So it goes for both of them. So back in the day in 2007, we gave IPRA the power. So when they find sustained allegations against an officer, it goes, they forward those charges to the superintendent. It used to go through this whole command channel review within the police department. And any boss could stop the discipline from happening. That doesn't happen anymore. Now what goes to Eddie, well, superintendent at this point, um, it was, I think it was Eddie Johnson in the office. It goes to the superintendent starting in 2007, they can if they disagree and want to recommend reduced discipline or more discipline, they have to put their disagreement down in writing. Now, in a case we are researching, and I won't talk about it was literally a one sentence email. Um, but then that goes to the head of either COPA IPR COPA now or the internal affairs, head of internal affairs, whoever's running that investigation, it then they if COPA and the head of now COPA internal affairs can not agree with the recommendation of the superintendent, or if they disagree, the heads have to meet the superintendent with either the head of COPA, or the head of internal affairs, meet with the superintendent. And if they can't work it out, it goes to one member. Now, one member of the board, it used to be three, but now one member of the police board basically mediates it and decides whether they should take the initial recommendation from either COPA or internal affairs or the superintendent's recommendation. If they agree on the, um, if they take COPA's recommendation, if it's it's a strong one, or internal affairs, and it's for um, significant suspension or termination, then a hearing goes in front of the police board, and eight members of the board vote, the one who was involved in the mediation, it does not, is not involved in that case. So that's what's happening. Okay, now... First of all, Savini should know, especially all the reports on police he's been doing over the years, he should know how that works. So let's go back to this. This result, this findings from COPA should be public now. Why do we have to wait and give the superintendent, he has 60 or 90 days before he has to make his determination, his recommendation. That's kind of ridiculous. These findings should be public now. The reason, I mean, They probably either released in public in a a press release or he got some kind of tip about the 100 misconduct claims against the officers. Um, But we don't have what they actually found and we won't have for at least another couple of months. And then if he disagrees, then they go back and forth privately for God knows how long before. And they won't release all of this stuff they'll release us the end finding whatever happens in the end and whether it goes to the police board or not or they agree to some mediated discipline in between but then you're going to have to send in someone like me has to send in a request under the freedom of information act to actually get access to these documents this should all be public that's the bottom line savini's got to do his job better he's got to learn how the system works so the public can be educated the right way this is not the right way if you're guessing um and they need to release all of this stuff publicly. It's ridiculous that um, this is what we still have reporters not knowing what they're doing. And we still have to wait months and months and months to get access to official findings uh, of the government body. Okay. Especially involved in cases. So high profile is this. High profile is this. But actually it should be in all cases. Not even high, high profile or not. Okay. Everyone, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back in one minute after this info about our nation project. Join a group of engaged and committed individuals advocating for transparency and accountability in the local justice system around the country. Get engaged through crowdsourced research projects, digital activism, public policy advocacy, or become a social media ambassador. Our criminal justice system will not reform itself. Communities must demand it. Transparency can be the fuel for justice our local communities need to combat the weaponizing of data by our justice system. Transformation of our justice system cannot occur until we know exactly what they are doing and who they are doing it to. Get involved today, CJP Nation. All right, sorry about that, ladies and gentlemen. We had an audio issue. We're back with, let me read this real quickly to you. Two paragraphs. The popular sentiment is law enforcement is dying as as careers go. The real fact is it's being murdered slowly. Murdered in caps. Death is natural. Murder is intentional. Intentional in caps. Make no mistake about it. Politicians are the one in control of the crime. If they do not correct course immediately, the social results fall right on their doorstep. It should also force the lifting of their absolute immunity. They should be subject to federal lawsuits for the policies they enact that have eroded society to an unlivable urban experiment in far too many cities. That list grows daily. We cannot just accept that reality. The need to fight back has never been greater until those same politicians all across this country feel threatened over being reelected, this tide will not stop it is incumbent upon each of us to get involved politically more than ever before we cannot just surrender to the mindset that it's fruitless that that it's a fruitless effort hold the line in caps okay What is encoded in the unlivable urban experiment? What does that mean? Who, I mean, is there some consistently demographic? Is there something in the demographics that is um, consistent or somewhat consistent about the people that live in urban centers. So there's a massive bias in that language. They know it. That's why they wrote it. This is what the Fraternal Order of Police, the police union, the head of that union, John Catanzaro, and his leadership. That's what they think. What they think. Now the hilariousness of this is they're against just about any policy that seems to change the the circumstances in the communities they're talking about. There's too many guns in Chicago, there's too many guns in urban centers. Okay, let's do something about guns. No, 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 no. No, no. Don't touch guns. We love guns. Everyone should have a gun. They're great. Okay, well, then how do you want to treat it? And how they want to treat it is they want a police department, much like they wanted a president. They want a police department that is unquestioned, unchallenged. They have the only discretion in the justice system. That's it. They're beyond oversight. The COPA, IPRA, the Office of Professional Standards, Internal Affairs, they're all full of shit. The police board, full of shit. Politicians, full of shit. Democracy, full of shit. That's what they believe. They want an unquestioned police force. They want an unquestioned police force that runs wild in every city around the country. This leadership in the in the police, let's talk about the police union. We had a clip a couple weeks ago, uh, a segment a couple weeks ago, on an article written by Chip Mitchell at WBEZ talking about the leadership of the FOP and how it's been, um, all but one person in the elected leadership since at least 2000 has been white, 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 shocking, isn't it? There's a police department that's 20 some percent black. I don't know, 10, 15% Latino, maybe a city that's at least a third black. We get no leadership of color. They just don't care. Um, If they did care, it would be a lot more diverse, but that's just a symptom of it's just a sign of what you're dealing with. This in this leadership, this leadership, not Cotton Zara himself, but just the leadership of the FOP over time. They backed John Verge when he was fired in 1993. They backed him. They were fine. You didn't never thought. He, still to this day, don't think he did anything wrong. This leadership, John Cotton Zara, he thought Jason Van Dyke, innocent as can be, didn't do anything wrong. Perfectly justified. Perfect shooting, perfect, much like our ex-president. everything's per- Everything they do is perfect, perfect, best shooting ever. Now, here we are and it's using the same absolutism in the shooting around Adam Toledo, Anthony Alvarez, absolute perfect, perfect, great, don't question us. And hilariousness about this is it's kind of like democracy and accountability is for everyone else. We hold you accountable. We do, but we are unaccountable. We are not accountable to anyone else in the system and no one else in the system, prosecutors, judges, juries, jails, prisons, none of them can have discretion. The only discretion is in the police and they're absolutely right all the time. That's how they've thought forever, and this is how they think now. This is it. John Canzaro, the head of the FOP, has got something like 50 complaints against the most internally, most from bosses. Yeah, he's got a strong liking for authority. He doesn't want accountability. He, he, accountability is for everyone below him and no one, and he cannot be held accountable from anyone. Whether it's bosses in the department or anyone else, There are no, there's no one higher than him. And, and this is his administration's thought, but it's been the administration of the FOP forever. There's nothing really new here. I wish there was, there isn't. Um, and I have no instinct that there's going to be any change in that organization anytime soon. They are a roadblock to everything. Okay. We're going to move on to our next segment, which is something, uh, from the court, um, center for court innovation. And this is a podcast episode. I think everyone should listen to it. uh, Um, after you listen to ours, of course, but I think you should. Um, the headline here, I've got the image of the web page up. Does the criminal justice system cause crime? And that's what we're going to talk about now. So there's a term that came to me in grad school called criminal, does the police accountability system cause crime. Does the justice system, the way it handles things and responds to things cause crime. And there's an answer and it's simple and it's yes. Undoubtedly, they cannot operate in the communities and not have some impact, whether good or bad. It's a mixture, but they do cause crime. Every time you arrest someone for a minor infraction, you are greatly, or any infraction, you are greatly increasing the likelihood that they will be system involved for the rest of their lives. Massively. We know this now, and we've known this for several years cops in schools and when they arrest even just putting cuffs on kids once that happens you've greatly increased the likelihood that they're going to be system involved for the rest of their lives so is the system criminogenic of course it is we did a segment we're trying to get the authors of this study on this podcast is uh, partially about a study done i think in boston the prosecutor's office in boston they looked at or in boston police department they looked at fifteen thousand cases over or maybe 15 years of cases but they looked at several 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 thousand cases over a long period of time and whether or not people on low-level offenses were more or less likely to reoffend if they were arrested for that low-level offense without going in depth the answer is yes here's a quote from this uh, podcast, but we're going to hopefully get the authors of the study on in the coming weeks. Someone not pr- prosecuted for a low-level charge, sixty percent less likely to be arrested again over the next two years. That's huge, huge. Someone ever says, "Oh my God, you got to arrest people, you got to throw them in jail." What we're talking about is for that low-level offense, are we getting the ROI, return on investment, for for arresting them? Um, for that minor offense, or is it so detrimental to the person you're arresting for that low level offense that we're increasing the likelihood they're going to be system involved for long periods of time. I told you in the beginning, yes, that's the way it is. And yes, here we are. There is some more evidence to the fact that arresting people for low level offenses has a detrimental effect and it leads to them being arrested more at least over the two years. Um, That's a massive, massive finding. It'd be nice if um, our criminal justice system and our political leaders, um, which we're about to talk about next, could actually take that to heart. But it's not politically expedient. That's not how you get reelected even in 2021, anywhere in the country, let alone Chicago. Um, it's law, it's a law and order town. It's starting, they're trying to change it, but it's a law and order town. It's hilarious when you get Alderman holding you law and order, because this plays right into our next segment. What a great segue. Okay. Our last segment for today, ladies and gentlemen, political corruption, nothing new to Chicago, nothing new in the late teens, early twenties of the 20th century in Chicago. Right? So on Thursday, we got a twofer. Here's an article out of the Sun-Times announcing Patrick Daly Thompson, I think a nephew to the old, uh, most recent Daly mayor, and then the grandson of old man Daly, Patrick Daly Thompson, alderman in the Bridgeport area, excuse me for not knowing what ward it is. Um, Indicted over loans from failed Bridgeport bank, declares his innocence. Okay. Then I said twofer, here we go later in the day, sometimes Ricardo Munez, alderman, former alderman 22nd ward. He left office because he knew this was coming. Here's the, here's the title. Former Alden Munoz charged by feds for allegedly using progressive reform caucus money on personal expenses. Ugh. Okay. Yep, we got a twofer. So, um, we're gonna start. Okay, Daly. I, I kind of find Daly's corruption worse than I find Munoz's. Munoz has struggled with alcoholism. I know he's back or was this last summer back in treatment. I don't know whether or not that is trying to lessen his sentence. Um, They're both indicted on multiple charges Um, daily. It's a Washington Federal Bank and Savings seven charges, excuse me, seven charges involving uh, Washington Federal Savings Bank, including A loan for $219,000 that he made one payment on then never made another, even though in his taxes he was declaring uh, a tax break for the interest he was paying on it. And then he got another $80,000 loan to do something to his ward office. Um, I don't think he made a payment there either. And then when he was communicating, uh, Washington Federal Bank for Savings went under. A lot of really corrupt shit going on in that bank. I believe the CEO of the bank was found dead in one of the top customers' houses in Park Ridge. I mean, the shit was going down there. Um, the FDIC federal deposit insurance company came in and took over the bank when it failed. And he lied to them that he is like, no, 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 no. I only owe $110,000. Well, it turns out not so fast, Mr. Daly. It may shock you, but banks and institutions like the FDIC—they can track your payments. There's a record of it, and you don't have one. So, among other things to do with the crooked loans, he's going to go down for lying to federal agents. Um, wow, that was a hard one. And remember, this guy during some of this time, with an inheritance—he uh, grandmother, grandfather died grandmother died inherited property in one year he made 1.8 million dollars in income could have paid the loans back by blinking his eye but he's too corrupt Um, it's unbelievable now mr. Munoz 15 counts of wire fraud one count of money laundering embezzled money from the progressive caucus this, around the same time or around the same time before he left office, he was arrested for misdemeanor DV. I believe he was subsequently found not guilty uh, on a bench trial for that charge. I don't, yeah, if the alcoholism played a part in this, then I feel that, um, I feel a little sorry for him. Um, he's. I think both are definitely going to prison. It's uh, sad. Um if it didn't, if that's just a cover, then say la vie, Rick. Um both are sad, but let's get to, you know, um there's this great black not great, but there's this black club article um reminding us all of um was just really quickly the list of aldermen that got charged recently in the last couple of years. Burke, Patrick Daly-Thomason, Munoz, Danny Solis, Kerry Austin, Proco, Joe Moreno, and Willie Cochran. That is seven aldermen and there are probably more to come. It's an amazing thing. Without that getting fixed, all the criminal justice stuff we're trying to do is never going to succeed because there's going to be too much political corruption sucking money from communities and stealing it to make the difference we want to make. This needs to stop and like ricardo munoz was supposed to be one of the top progressives in the city and here he is going to prison for embezzling money from the progressive caucus in the city council i mean it's, to me it seems right on right on uh, right on power for daily to be involved in corruption a daily family member um um and just really quick before we end, back of the charge has a comment. If elected alderman were paid more, would there be more qualified, less corrupt candidates? No, I don't think so. It'd be nice to think they're paid enough They get $100,000 a year. Um, if they're not doing it, if that ain't enough for them, tough crapola. I think there's just uh, the people that want to get elected are power-seeking and corrupt in the beginning. And, uh, right, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts Absolutely so um i i wish it was better i wish that would help but i don't think so um i don't know how it's going to help the the help is really the electorate changing and, and and electing qualified people qualified people do run they just aren't part of the machine and they aren't getting elected um all right ladies and gentlemen thank you so much for being here Um, We will be back Wednesday at 5.30 and Friday at 5.30. Hopefully there won't be a windstorm that shut us down on last Friday. And then um, next Monday, a week from today, we have scheduled, and we'll bring you part of an interview with Alderman, uh, I'm sorry, State, I think it's State Rep um, Ford. I think he's a senator. I think he's a State Rep. Um, But we will bring you that. We're sitting down with Monday before the show, so we'll bring you a piece of it during the show. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much. I really appreciate being here. We will see you Wednesday. Oh, real quick, if you want, if you have ideas for topics you want included in the show, articles you want me to comment on, or people you want interviewed, by all means, info at chicagojustice.org, or drop a comment in the show on any of the platforms. We're happy to listen to recommendations and suggestions. Thank you so much. We will see you next, um, not next week, this Wednesday at 530 Central. Thank you and have a great day.